You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone, and I want to thank you for joining me for tonight's conversation. I am so excited to introduce all of you to two people who have had a profound impact on my life and theology. Uh, They probably don't know this, but they have explained the scriptures to me in a particular area simply by living out the principles of scripture in front of me uh, pretty much for my entire life uh, since my childhood. And um, this is part two of a short teaching series that I'm doing on the dignity of the disabled. And in part one of this series, I laid out the biblical framework for the dignity of the disabled from a historically Christian viewpoint. Tonight, what we're going to do is translate that into real life as we talk to a very special couple about their journey as parents of a disabled child. (coughs) Sorry, got a frog in my throat. All right, we'll go to this camera. Now, you might be wondering, why am I covering this topic? And as I said, in part one of this series, it's because we live in what Christian philosopher Dr. Francis Schaeffer called 40 years ago, a culture of death. And I think that part of living in this cultural moment requires Christians to have clarity about certain issues. And the inherent dignity of the disabled is one of those issues that Christians have historically been known for. So as we go through the conversation tonight, I want to invite you to add your voice. You can engage with us in the chat box on YouTube. You can ask clarifying questions there. Now, this is a pre-recorded conversation, so we are not live tonight, but I will be in the chat box during the premiere and will respond to comments and questions there as they are relevant. And while you're watching, also be sure to give a thumbs up to the broadcast, share it out, especially if you know somebody where this content would be an encouragement to them and in their particular situation, share this content and make sure you're subscribed. These are all things that help to uh, the artificial intelligence on YouTube and Facebook to help push this content out to the people that need it. So if you are new to my channel, I always like to start by saying that this channel is dedicated to proclaiming the historic Christian faith as it was taught and preserved by the ancient church and to explore how we can respond to what's happening in our culture through the lens of the historic Christian worldview. And this is not the channel where we do any sort of magic tricks with the Bible to make it fit with what our culture is telling us what is right. We look to the scriptures first to shape our thoughts and feelings, our opinions, our life choices. And we use the example of the early church as sort of a check or a boundary. Sometimes I call them guardrails to help keep us from wandering from the true faith. Now, with that said, let's get into this. I want to introduce you to two people who have been very influential in my own life and theology. My aunt and uncle, Virgil and Pat Lee, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's fun to be here. 
Well, this is like a dream come true. I've been dreaming of having you guys on and doing this conversation for a few years now. So I'm super honored uh, to, to have you share some of your journey tonight. Um, so, so Krista, Krista, full disclosure. Yeah. Um, you may want to tell your audience, or maybe you've already told them that you're my absolute favorite niece. Okay. <laughs> I think that needs to be said. And the second thing is you're my favorite theologian. Oh, <laughs> that's very kind. Well, maybe we should start by uh, telling people a little bit about yourselves. Um, and you're, you're both like so accomplished. We can have a whole show just for with each of you of all of your accomplishments. Um, but maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and give people some context about you. I don't know. Pick one thing. <laughs> just tell us something. You want me to start? Well, I, I grew up. I grew up in California, uh, not uh, not too far from uh, from where uh, Krista is, and um, uh, our Krista's grandfather, my dad, was a pastor, and uh, as our as my grandfather was Krista's great grandfather, and um, so uh, I went to school in California, and then uh, came back to Minnesota. Uh, for seminary and spent four years in, uh, in seminary, um, served uh, a couple of churches uh, here in the metro area, uh, Colonial Church of Edina and Christ Presbyterian Church in Edina. It's really odd to serve two churches in the, in the, uh, uh, in the same town. And um, spent uh, 30 years in the executive recruiting business and um, for fun and avocation, I do uh, some wood artwork and Pat and I are both now retired. And uh, so we've gone from a home to this condo. And uh, so this is kind of where we are in, uh, in life. And uh, I think my mom is really concerned about my career path that I can't seem to find a straight line. So we'll, uh, we'll keep working on it though. So you've been a you've been a pastor. You're an artist. You've been a, an executive recruiter. It, it's a it's a diverse resume. Yeah, uh, it's it, yeah, and uh, you can't uh, unless I tell you how it happened. You just can't connect the dots. That's right. <laughs> All right, Pat. Why don't you you have you're just amazingly accomplished too. Maybe you can give us a snapshot of your background. Well, I grew up in Minnesota. I'm a Swede. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I went to Bethel College and then uh, went on to Bethel Seminary. Uh, it was uh, kind of a convoluted journey there. But uh, while, while I was in seminary, I met Verge. And uh, then through one of my professors, I was actually hired at Colonial Church of Edina. And I was, was in the ministry for 10 years and then uh, began going into the business world and started doing some training. And then when the whole concept of project manager came along, yeah, that's kind of was my, my little slot that said, hey, you belong here. And so I did project management for 30 years. So it's been a wild ride. Been a it's been a lot of fun. We feel very blessed. Um, and we're just uh, thrilled to be with you today, Krista. Well, it's an honor, really. And so you're you're both former ministers, both former corporate people. Uh, and 
I, I love that. And you guys have both had just such an impact on me throughout my life and just encouraging me. Um, I'll, I'll never forget like all the little talks you would give to me over the holidays when we'd see each other on making something of myself and having goals and telling me like not to be lazy and go to college and work hard and all of these things that I've tried to, um, live out in my life. And, um, you know, just so grateful for all of the impact you guys, you probably don't even know, cause we're not a family that really talks about things like this very often, but, uh, you know, just all of the, the impact you guys have had on me in kitchen conversations and telling me, you know, to, to do the right thing and be strong and all of those things. And now those are all things I try to teach to my own children. So, you know, thank you. Well, you know, just in full disclosure, we're, we're very proud of you. Christina. Oh, thank you. It's been fun watching your life and you develop along with Bob. It's just been, it's just been a pleasure. Oh, and, and, and I do get the letters from time to time because I have on my website as part of my bio that I'm a fourth generation minister of sorts and i i do get the hate mail <laughs> people are highly offended by that but it's it's like well look you know my great-grandfather my grandfather my aunts my uncle i'm in that line i, I can claim that line <laughs> yes you can <laughs> so well tell us a little bit about your family your daughter um talking to us a little bit about your situation and how she came to be a part of your family. We decided after being married for five years that maybe we would have a child and we were not able to do that ourselves, so we adopted. Corbin came from Korea. Uh, she was three months old when she arrived. Uh, she was beautiful. She really was. Um, I often say that that little teeny picture that you get when you first get a picture of your child and you're adopting that's about one inch by one inch is as valuable to an adoptive uh, parent as is uh, the ultrasound pictures that you have. Yeah. So, uh, it was uh, a very exciting time for us. Um, after about two years, it was really uh, your grandmother who noticed the first kind of odd thing about Corbin in relationship to some hand movements that were a little bit strange. And as she approached two years old, uh, things became a little bit more difficult. Um, we realized then that she was having uh, a profound seizure disorder. Uh, started out with a lot of petty malls, uh, went into grand malls. So we had a grand mall about once every six months, every quarter. Um, and they just kept getting worse and worse. Mm. So we also found out, so our neurologist also told us that he felt she was having a lot of what they call petty mal seizures, which is just kind of an absent seizure where she would be functioning, but then she'd be gone for a second or two. So that's kind of how it all began. Uh, she's always been a fun kid. She was in the beginning a challenge because she was just wild, but they told us it was because she felt like she was having a telephone ringing in her head every seven seconds. Wow. But um, it, it was, uh, those first years were, were very difficult for us. I can only imagine that maybe at sometimes you kind of felt like you were, for lack of a better word, sort of drowning, like what is happening? And you're trying to get medical answers and cope with the everyday realities of, of what you were going Absolutely. through. Absolutely. Well, it's really interesting. There's a little uh, thing I'd like to read here. And this 
totally tells you what it would feel like. And it says, I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it. To imagine how it would feel, it would be like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make wonderful plans. You're thinking about the Colosseum, the Michelangelo's, you'll see the, the gondolas in Venice. You may even learn some hard, handy phrases in, in Italian. It's all very, very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack up your bags to go to Italy. Several hours later, the plane lands. The stewardess comes in and says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The most the important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks and you must learn a whole new language and you will meet a whole new group of people you would never have met before. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills and Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy, and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they're having there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go, too. That's what I was had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever go away because the loss of that dream is a very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. And that's exactly how it feels. Mm -hmm. That's really, that's really a wonderful story. Now, did you write that? No, you just, gave it to okay. Me. It's, it's just, but it really resonates with you. Like oh, it really does. Yeah. Because there are so many plans that you had so many dreams that you have when you think about having your own child. Yeah. And those things won't happen with us. Um, they won't happen with our child. And you just have to really change your whole perspective and begin looking at what you do have and what, who Corbin is. Yeah. And what, what talents and gifts has she been given by God? You know, one of the things that they say about special needs children is that get prepared because people are going to show up that you never imagined and they're going to come alongside you for a season in your life and they're really, really going to help you get through this. A bunch of the people that you thought would be the people that would help you uh, don't end up showing up. <laughs> um, some people in our lives I, um, and in our relationships, once they realized that um, we had a special needs child, uh, they began to to move away, like maybe this is a disease or something, and or they didn't know what to say. They they didn't know how to approach us, uh, and so they just disappeared. And uh, you know, for maybe some of your audience, you know, that is something that uh, that they would uh, maybe be able to to process and 
you know, to, um, to try to understand that when this happens in your family or to somebody that you know, um, you know, you've got a couple of choices. One is to move away or to move toward. And uh, I, I hope that uh, from just listening to some of this, that you, you know, you won't abandon uh, your friends and family, that you will move in to be part of their support group and to help them because everybody's in un, uncharted territory. And uh, so I think that, um, that uh, you know, as, as people process this kind of, uh, kind of uh, thing, there were people that um, came to us early on, which was such a blessing. And one of the things I remember them saying is Corbin will always live in an adult world. Always. She will not live in a child's world. She'll live in an adult world. So get her ready long-term to live in that adult world. Work with her to become predictably, as much as you can, appropriate in all of these settings. You know, we've never, she's never gone to actual Sunday school. She's always gone to worship with us. And, um, you know, and if you watch her while the songs are going, I mean, there's something going on there. She, uh, you know, she understands to a certain degree. And, you know, we're doing a lot of, we always do a lot of hooting and hollering. We want her to stay happy. And one of the things that, you know, we do in the car is everyone who loves Jesus, put up your hand and boy, her hand <laughs> straight up. We had young women that lived with us to help us take care of Corbin. And uh, uh, yeah, there must have been 10 of them. They would come for one to two years. They go to college. Most of them were, most of them is interesting, were Catholic young women from the rural areas, farm girls. And um, they came alongside us to help us. They lived in with us. And uh, they went to community college to get ready for university. But, and it was uh, a big decision to decide to have somebody come and live with you, especially when you don't have a huge house, but, you know, it's just like having another individual living with you. Yeah, I want to paint that. I want to paint that picture for people a little bit to help them understand, you know, kind of one of the things that you've done in your journey to to try to help get some help with the care is you had these girls, you would recruit these girls. Um, and I, I remember times when I would be visiting you in the summer and you would have to leave to go interview somebody you would and you would really interview them like a job interview and try to see who would be a good fit to come live in your house and kind of help Corbin um, with her routines. And then they would go to school when she was in school and they would they would be there during the week to to try to help Um, maybe tell us a little bit about how that idea came to you and, and what you did with that. Well, I think I knew that that I needed to continue working. Um, I could not just focus my life on trying to deal with Corbin. I saw a lot of women who did that and I knew that I needed to keep living. And uh, so we, decided to try it for just a little bit of time because it was getting harder and harder to find babysitters. Um, The one that we did have from the very uh, first summer that we had Corbin, 
uh, went to college. And so we didn't have somebody that was kind of around all the time that we could just call in. So we decided to, to have somebody come and live with us. Um, and with Virgie being in the ministry, there was a lot of evenings when um, it would be helpful if I could be there too. Weekends and Sundays were a real uh, issue for us because uh, I was involved um, as a pastor's wife in the church as well. So we had to figure out something that would work. And this did work. We had always thought we'd have a second child. So, you know, it was kind of like having a second child, except all of a sudden they came when they were freshmen in college. <laughs> yeah. So but it was, it was extremely uh, helpful. And in its own way, I think it's become a ministry um, in relationship to them. We still have relationships with them. Um, they brought so much into our lives mm -hmm. and uh, it was turned out to be so enjoyable. That's great. So I, I'm wondering, Pat, you, you made a, a, both of you made a comment earlier about how, you know, there were some people that kind of drifted away in your life and then there was unexpected people who came into your life. What would be your thoughts about how people could support a couple when they're when they're in your situation like what would have been helpful maybe in the beginning and in the middle of of your journey one of the things that comes to my mind is I, uh, people would say to us and i and i know they meant this in in the most positive way is you know uh boy god really had his wisdom in place when you know he selected you two to take care of Corbin. And, you know, my attitude about that was, well, you know, you've got a normal child and um, next time you go stand in the line I was in and I'm going to go stand in the line you were in because uh, I would like to have all of the experiences of, of going uh, with Corbin to athletic events and um, and going to uh, be involved with with proms and girls soccer and you know and and ultimately uh, falling in love and getting married and having grandchildren and all that uh, all of that gets you know gets changed so one of the things I would suggest to your audience is that they don't ever say that to somebody don't say that don't do it that way don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. Think of another way to say that um, without without saying it. Uh, you oh, know, that's good. That's in, good. In quite that way. But um, you know, there we had some. We had some very dear friends. I mean, we had a very small wedding, and people that were at that wedding would take us off to the one couple took us off to the side and they said, you know, Pat and Virg, you've got so much to offer a, a, a normal child that is not going to really be tapped into with Corbin. And what we think you ought to do is probably, you know, just um, commit her to the state oh. and, and then you go on with your lives and adopt another child, one that is whole and one that you can pour the resources that you have available into that child and um, to have that child really become something. And uh, I, I was so floored that anybody would, would say that first of all, but if people don't necessarily verbalize it, just the fact that, um, uh, that they would think this, 
um, is uh, we have known families that could not deal with this. It's very, very hard on a relationship. There's an 80%, you help me here, Pat, maybe I'm overstating this, but there's an 80% chance of divorce when you have a severely um, disabled child. Wow. It puts such pressure into the relationship that, um, that the relationship just dissolves and people go their own way. And we know of many, many couples where that has been uh, the reality. Uh, the one thing that we made a covenant with each other is that we would stay in this relationship um, until, absolutely until uh, Corbin passed away, which, which in, in some ways we were told <laughs> was going to happen very shortly. Um, we were told that she would not make it to eight years old. Wow. Uh, so she's 37 years old now and she's going strong and getting stronger every day. So this is, uh, this is the love of our lives. And this is the one that probably has changed our lives the most. And uh, this has been, you know, hands down the most important thing in our lives. And uh, this is, uh, thank you for showing her picture. This yeah. is, uh, fills in a little bit. She functions at about a two-year-old level. So nonverbal, nonverbal, and she's got a few words and uh, she knows who Jesus is, by the way. <laughs> and she, I, I mean, I love it that, you know, you guys, um, when she was living at home, uh, you know, that you guys would pray for everyone in the family and she knew our names and um, go through the list, go, yeah, through, go the through the list of all the cousins. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Well, yeah. Every night she's here, stays over. We just live about seven blocks from her. So she stays over and here at the condo. And boy, that's still a tradition. When we eat, man, her hands are out first because she knows she can't touch any food until we get this blessing out of the way. And sometimes in the middle of it, she just says, amen. <laughs> she wants to eat. <laughs> you know you know how long her dance for is. Yeah, well, the missionaries have to be prayed for. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that kind of leads us into some things that I, I want us to talk about in painting the picture, because I think that one of the things I admire the most about your journey with Corbin is how you have helped her live as an adult and yet honored where she's at, you know, developmentally. But she's always like... <laughs> Pat, you you dress Corbin better than I dress. I mean, she is she is fashionable. Uh, you make her exercise, and she has she has a when she was in school, she had a better social life than I did. She was she would go bowling. Uh, she, you know, she she was riding. She she was just amazing. Like you guys did things for her that I feel like, and I don't know if you were consciously aware of this, but this is how it came to me was you always treated her as if she was a person with inherent dignity. You always treated her as if she was somebody to be honored and you, you treated her that way. And I'm just maybe wondering if, if you could speak to that, like what your mindset was or why you made those decisions? Well, I think early on, um, I can, um, I went through a really hard time um, and I just 
can remember pounding on the sink in the kitchen saying, God, you think I can handle this, but I can't. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because after that experience, it just seemed like God just showed me ways that I could function mm-hmm. and ways that I could maintain um, some of the, the dream that I had for a child, but also how I could make life better for her and also for a number of people that were surrounding us at that time. Uh, it's interesting that there were two other families that had um, children about the same age as Corbin from Korea, same thing had happened with them. Hmm. So trying to figure out how we could improve her life. Um, I got very involved in working with the school and just saying, you know, if you're going to do integration, then you have to integrate them as if they were the kids that are in those classes that they're being um, integrated into. And we not only looked at the classroom, but we looked at extracurricular activities. We got her we got them to be involved with uh, Special Olympics so that they could develop some of their other skills and to stay physically fit. Um, it was very important for, for me to make sure that she looked, not only that she acted appropriate, but that she looked appropriate in every situation that she was in. So we did work hard and it also helped to have young women living with us. Uh, to make sure that her clothing was uh, fashionable, that she she looked good at that particular time. And she loves to look good. She was able to go to proms. She went to actually three proms because she was invited to the prom a year before she could go because she was the right age. Uh, she loved wearing those dresses. And to this day, she loves looking good. Um, she and she knows when she looks good and she knows when she doesn't look good hmm. and she can choose if you give her if you put two things out on the bed she'll choose the one that she wants to wear so um she's well, we have a picture of her at her at her house i imagine in front of her house with some of her housemates and the first thing i notice is look at those boots <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's really stylish yeah. there well the, the, the house is an interesting thing uh um, the uh, the young man that's got his feet sort of up and is wearing tan pants is Rob Krolik. And Corbin and Rob uh, went to school together from the first grade forward. And that family we got together with after Pat did a lot of research about what kind of model of living would be best for Corbin and maybe for uh, some others. We bought the home that you're looking at. And um, uh, and then the two outside, the young man and the young woman who's got her hand up in the uh, the air, uh, Leo and Katie, uh, uh, the four of them have been together in that house for 13 years, which we bought with the Krolicks. And so uh, we can kind of predict that this is where Rob and and uh, and Corbin will be for for the remaining years of their uh, of their life but there again is one of those things that people come into your life and uh, they impact it they touch it in ways that you cannot imagine but uh, the security of knowing that Corbin is not going to be brought from house to house to house to house that this is her home forever 
and um, that uh, sharing it with these other three roommates. The, this is a family. They love each other. I mean, mm. they we she can come on Sunday afternoon, but about four o'clock, it's gom gom, which means go home. You know, <laughs> she's and, had enough. <laughs> yeah, she's had enough. This is boring. And uh, a lot I, more interesting at the house. Yeah, you know, I was doing something over there, and I don't know what it is. So let's let, we got to get over there and see. And plus, they eat at five. So. <laughs> oh, one, very good. One of the sidebar things that has been one of the greatest blessings of our life is that Corbin was having horrible, horrible seizures, and this gives some some context to what she is today. At seven years old, uh, her pediatrician. Um, a neurologist, went to a conference, heard about some experimental brain surgery in Chicago at Rush Presbyterian, and he looked into this, and, and she went to Rush Presbyterian for weeks and weeks and weeks of evaluation to see if that, if a surgery or brain surgery could be of help. They finally did operate on her brain, and they essentially opened up her the side of her head and cut all the fire tracks that were sending all these terrible, terrible seizure activities across her brain. They just they cut them, disconnected them, and um, she has not had a grand mal seizure since then. And it's absolutely revolutionized her life. And instead of screaming all night, she just slept well. And that that smile came back that we had not seen for lots of years. And that is the reason why she is the child that she is today. And uh, there's a blessing. What were the chances that that guy went to a conference and uh, and uh, heard this talk and, and thought that uh, this could be possible and then get the insurance company to pay for it? Yeah. 30 years ago, it was $250,000 to have the surgery done. Wow. You talk about it the the challenges that Corbin faces. I mean, really, she is a very happy person. She's very pleasant to be around. Uh, she's very easy to be around. And she does have her own language and words. And you can kind of find a way to communicate with her and and sing and have fun together. But I know that she also faces very real challenges in her everyday life. Um, maybe you could kind of paint that picture just a little bit of the level of care that she needs and what some of those challenges are. Good questions. She, um, she needs basically help with everything. Uh, it's becoming more of, a, of an issue because she's started to have a, quite a severe tremor. So things that she could do, uh, small motor skills that she could do before, she cannot do anymore. Um, she's never been able to brush her teeth or um, do a bath or a shower on her own, or even really completely dress on her own. You can dress her part way and then she can do the remaining pulling her pants up or something like that. But she's always needed, needed help and she will continue to need help. She is, because of her uh, tremor right now, she seems to be a little bit more unsteady on her feet, but she knows it. And so she'll hang on to you. So where she really wasn't a very good hand holder in the past, she's now, you know, reaching out for your hand or your arm and wanting to hang on when she's walking in cer certain circumstances. Um, the house that we did purchase, we do have uh, a provider group that staffs the house and programs for the house. 
So we are not involved uh, on a daily basis the way we used to be in taking care of our personal needs. But um, we are obviously still very involved in monitoring what goes on there. We're still her legal guardians. Um, and she spends at least, uh, work, she's with us at least uh, one or two times a week for dinner when we take her out for dinner or she comes over on Sundays with us. We go to church together when we could go to church. Um, and she, by the way, she misses going to church a lot. She loved church services. Um, we kind of compromised. Virge likes the traditional service. She likes rock and roll. Rock and roll. So we kind of go to the rock and roll, and she is a great dancer to all of that music. She loves it. But she does require uh, a lot of skill. Uh, you don't tr trust her. Uh, you know, you, you keep her in your sight at all times. You never know if she's going to all of a sudden decided that she wants to snuggle up to a stranger somewhere. Uh, she's very good at that because she likes people. So there's a lot of things that you have to, that you watch yeah, uh, that have to be monitored and yeah. looked at. I'm wondering as you've walked in this journey, you know, what role your faith has played because I'm sure that maybe in the beginning or maybe even today, like there's, there's questions of like, God, why did you pick us for this assignment? Or how has your faith maybe grown through, through your parenting journey with Corbin? I think one thing, both Pat and I are type A's and uh, you know, to all of a sudden have a, a, a child that needed to be, you know, completely taken care of is is something that we obviously would not have, you know, signed up for. But this is she's probably been the greatest change agent in, um, uh, you know, in our lives. One of just one quick example is that if the two of us ever speak sternly with each other, you know, I mean, raise your voice, and you know, doing kind of the basic couple arguing thing where you raise your voice for positioning and all that sort of thing. This just freaks her out. And I mean, all of a sudden she starts saying, scared, 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 you know, and it uh, very, very quickly, uh, uh, you know, changes your, uh, your whole temper business uh, that you got to settle down. And uh, so that's been some of the, that's been some of the good positive things. I think that, that has happened is that, you know, it, it, it shapes, I mean, I can't imagine having done this and being involved in this um, without having uh, your faith and having people around you who regularly say, you know, we're, we're praying for you. And, and um, that's been immensely important. And I, I think that, um, uh, you know, it took a it took a while just to come to accept some of these things, but once you accept it, and then you're just praying on a regular basis. You know, Lord Jesus, help help this child. Um, you know, we're away from her now. In in uh, to uh, the majority of the week, as other people are taking care of her, and uh, you know, so I think part of the thing is just praying for God to to bless her and take care of her. Well, obviously, one of our thoughts is we thought she was going to pass away early in life. Mm 
she's getting stronger and stronger and she's 37 and I'm 76. You know, you don't have to be a mathematical genius to start running the, the you know, um, uh, the data on that. And so that's part of our prayer too, is how that, that God will provide and, um, and bring people into our lives and into more specifically her life yeah. as it relates to her long-term care. I don't know if you have some. I think one of the things that happened um, when she was uh, doing, we call it week and ride. It was horseback riding lessons, therapeutic. And the place where the riding took place was in a um, close to a boy's home. And these boys would come and help lead the horses and so forth. And after when one of the boys was going to leave, he just said, I cannot believe and I will never forget what Corbin has taught me about life and that you can be happy no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you can do and what you can't do, um, that you can be that you can be happy. And I think that really said to me, Corbin has a mission in life. She does have a purpose and it's up to us to just make sure that she's in environments and places where she can be happy and where she can influence people. And it's amazing the people that she's influenced. We just had a neighbor, uh, we were over at their house with Corbin, or I should say their condo with Corbin. And she came over the next day and she said, I have, I just cannot believe how happy she is. She said, she just made me happy. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's that's Corbin's purpose. That's yeah. Corbin's purpose. Even to have her house manager say, "I need a Corbin fix." <laughs> so, well, yeah, she, she can be like Velcro. I'll tell you that. You know, it just <laughs> she loves men, and uh, which is scary. Which is scary, and, and she has a particularly wonderful manager right now in the home. A young man, and uh, boy, they're buddies. Uh, you know, she just follows him every place he goes and uh it's uh, but you know sometimes she'll just be sitting eating it sounds like she doesn't do anything but eat but uh she'll be eating or she'll be in the car and all of a sudden she just say happy and and she means it yeah. you know it just says I, i'm you I'm, know, happy. I'm happy and uh uh and it comes at the strangest time but there's something that kind of overwhelms her and it's not that we're saying, oh, Corbin, are you happy? She just says it out of the blue, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm I know. happy. Um, Corbin was baptized by um, Virgis' uh, uh, brother's wife. Yeah, your sister-in-law. My sister-in-law. Yeah. And she... You're her aunt. Yeah, <laughs> you're on. <laughs> um, but anyway... Uh, Jean asked Corbin, they were standing up there, and Jean just asked Corbin, she said, Corbin, do you love Jesus? And Corbin says, yes. <laughs> and she was, you know, I really believe that she has a spiritual life, that she yeah. does know Jesus, and that she does experience the, the support and the strength that he gives her, because her life is not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. And I think that um, for her to be able to function in, in as many environments as she's able to and to continue to be happy is a gift from God. Well, I think, you know, sometimes, Krista, uh, we see uh, children and you've seen them in the grocery store and whatever. And 
a, a child is extremely angry and these special needs kids and they just seem like they're you know out of control and it it helps put things in into perspective i mean a lot of times i see that kind of thing and i say dear jesus thank you for giving me this child and because i can deal with this but i don't know if i could deal with this other this other thing and you know probably if we had that other thing somehow god would give us the strength to be able to handle that too yeah. but uh you know you're always grateful you know for the small things that you're given and to this day corbin continues to learn so we celebrate crazy things and uh, you know she'll learn some little skill that we've never seen i said pat did you see what she just did <laughs> And so, you know, your celebrations are at a different level. Yeah. And, um, and uh, but when other people like our neighbors celebrate that along with us, it adds to the joy. And, you know, for, for your audience, you, you almost can't say, uh, you know, an inappropriate thing to parents, you know, to, to, to say to them, you know, I've been watching you and, you're doing a great job, you know, and God bless you. Hmm. Um, that's, that's a gift when people will say that. It's, oh. it's a wonderful gift. And it's, it, it, um, you know, it's something that you don't necessarily expect, but when it, when it happens, uh, that's something to, to, um, to be joyful about. I would even. Well, that's a, that's a good, that's a good reminder of how we can help support families like, like yours and, and just, offering that word of encouragement and, and absolutely yeah that's really good pat did you want to jump in well um i was just going to say uh people that will include corbin in a conversation when they're talking to us mm. um that she's you know part of us is is one way that people can um can really help too it just makes it so much easier when they see us as a family unit and not just Virgin Pat. No, by the way, this child is over here. Yeah, um, oh, that's good. To, uh, to talk to her, to teach their children how to uh, greet or talk to someone. People that will actually uh, say, you know, you know, James, this is Corbin. Uh, and um, maybe you'd like to say hi. And those types of things are so important. I think not only for the parents and for the child that you're talking to, but for the for the typical child as well to understand the the dignity and the place that these people have within within uh, life within society. We had a family that was of one of the girls that came to live with us, young women, and then she had her own family and the extended family Kate got to know Corbin. They would take her every year to Lake Okaboji in, um, in Iowa. Can't imagine a lake in Iowa, but they do have them. Um, but uh, uh, we went there and, uh, but they took her for new years and, you know, they kept her up till midnight for the big celebration and they just included her in family for years and years. It was such a blessing that a family would take her and trust themselves to be able to do that. And, uh, you never forget those things. And that's why, you know, for the smallest thing that you ever do, if you're in a restaurant and you see somebody, somebody that has a special needs child to go over and greet that family. It means a lot to them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that you just say, you know, I've been watching you guys. You seem like a really happy family and God bless you for doing what you're doing. Yeah. Whatever it is, I don't know. But the recognition of that, instead of skirting around the outside so that you don't make eye contact so that you seem like you're avoiding them and everything, you know, consider not doing that and consider moving forward instead of, you know, retreating away from a situation uh, to uh, these, a lot of these people are, are very isolated and they're very lonely. And you can really make a difference in a special needs family by simply acknowledging that they're there and that they're dealing with this every single day. Boy, that's some good, that's some good pastoral advice. That's, that's really good. I like that. Um, I'm just wondering as we kind of close out here, as you think about Corbin's future, um, you kind of alluded earlier, you know, you're in your seventies now, uh, not Pat. She's still definitely in her fifties, very young, <laughs> but, uh, I'm wondering, is that scary? Like, cause many of the people that are going to watch this cast, maybe they're in their thirties and they're just at the start of their parenting journey with their special needs child. Maybe the future looks really scary for them. Maybe you, maybe Give us a little insight as to how you've thought about the future. I think for for me, uh, it was looking at Corbin, even when she was very young, and we had some people that helped us with this, and that is to look at life planning for her so that you start to begin to see her having stages of life just like a typical person would. Uh, and that for, that for us was once she graduated, when that high school graduation happened and she did walk across the stage for high school graduation. She then started her day program. Um, And then I knew that by the time she was uh, 25, she needed to be uh, on her own in a group home situation. We were told that. And we were told that very early on that don't, don't delay it because they're just like a typical child in that there is a place and a time when they need to move on and they need to develop that separate life from you. And I think that's what she's done now in in her group home. She has a life that is separate from us. She has a family and they definitely function as a family. Um, And that is going to what is going to hold her as she goes forward. She also has some great, great uh, cousins that actually um, have been involved with her and uh, their mother, who is uh, my niece, um, will be involved with Corbin after we're gone in relationship to uh, some of the legal aspects of her life. Uh, so we try to keep looking at the future. Don't, don't deal with it at a point in time, but try looking forward at their whole life so that as you move through these things, you can deal with them. Um, If I had to deal with them at points in time, I don't think I could do with it. It gives me a lot of time to to kind of think about it, to to begin to look at what's going on around us, um, what's happening uh, in the community, what's happening in our faith community, what's happening in her group home or in her work environment, and try to look at how her life needs to progress and what can I do to uh, prepare her for that and prepare us for that and our family as well. You, and, and you have the benefit now of, of reflecting on the past, um, you know, and younger parents maybe aren't, they don't have that benefit yet, but 
as you think about and reflect on your journey now that Corbin's 37, is there anything that you, you wish you could go back and tell your younger self? Like if, if, if you had a word for maybe some younger parents that are at the beginning of the journey, you know, is there anything you wish that somebody would have told you who was older to your younger self and said like, Hey, this is something you need to know. Pure worry is not a good strategy. Uh, uh, it doesn't, it, it really uh, doesn't accomplish anything. And I, I would suggest to people that, that there is nothing better. And we did not have the web um, uh, when we started our journey, but there are so many resources um, on websites of um, uh, conversation groups that could be really of help. It, you can't stop talking to other people to get strategies and to get uh, insights. And there are a lot of people out there that want to help. And, but you gotta, you, you have to ask for that help. One of the challenges that you have is to not isolate yourself. And there's a real temptation to do that. I mean, my life is over. I've got this special needs child. All I can do is to just marinate myself in this situation and, uh, and, and not live as full a life as, as really is available. And some of that availability comes through other people sharing your experiences, picking up insights. And um, that's, that's what I would say. And I would say early on, uh, we did uh, participate in some groups, but Verge isn't a real groupie. So uh, we uh, did that in the beginning and you're, you sit there and you listen to other people and you go, you know what, they can handle that. I don't think I could, but I, I can handle what I have. I can handle this situation. And you gain insights on how you should move forward. But I do think that it's true. You cannot marinate yourself in the situation. You need to, to branch out. You need to have your own interests and your own things that you you're, uh, want to accomplish in life. Um, I'm so grateful that I continued working. Um, I know that not everybody can do that. But for me, that was incredibly uh, important to do because I, I'm the kind of person that could go gun ho on anything. So um, that really helped me to temper. And I think for me too, is to focus on the long, long term. Don't focus on just today. Today will change. Today will be different. Uh, we will be different tomorrow. She will be different tomorrow. And uh, to not just get so bogged down in what's happening right now or your concerns right now, but to say, you know, there's a future here and I need to prepare for the future and I need to be ready for the future. And it's going to be a positive future. And I know the Lord is looking out for us. I know he's looking out for her and it's going to be, better than it is today if, it, if today happens to be a bad day so i want to hear both of you saying as verge i heard you say um one thing you wish you could tell your younger self is don't worry like don't just drown in the worry it and pat what i hear you say is be hopeful like to to really trust in the lord and look to the future and is that is that kind of the words there yes very yeah. much so the, the biblical thing of, you know, God will provide. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happens. And it doesn't make any difference if you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. You know, life has a 
life has a way of, of, uh, of uh, getting at you. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, this is what we've been given. Why? You know, we have, we have no idea. And I think we're past, you know, asking questions like that anymore. And now it's rolling, you're keeping your sleeves rolled up. Um, and that is our job here until the day we die, uh, as it relates to Corbin, to just yeah. provide the very best um, life for her that we possibly can. I definitely think that's something you've taught me, Virge. I mean, you you taught me very early on is like, you can either, <laughs> you're not one for self-pity. You, you just told me very bluntly, you know, like, well, you can just sit there and and feel sorry for yourself and your situation and being raised by a single parent, not having a dad, or you could get up and just show the world that you're better than that and work really hard and, and make something yeah. of yourself. You <laughs> <did>. <laughs> this was your very empathetic fatherly yeah, advice to me. Oh God. <laughs> this is how much, this is how you talk about emotions. In the Lee family. <laughs> this, is, this is how the Lees talk about their emotions. Yeah. I touch, I feel. <laughs> But who knows why each of us has the the cross that we bear. You know, that's been a different journey for me than it's been for you. And yet God has his ways and his purposes of bringing us to holiness. And we can either cooperate with those or we can waste a bunch of time fighting it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well... It's been an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story and and just helping uh, so many people. I know this is going to be an encouragement to many of the friends uh, who watch this and and um, hopefully they just are inspired by your wisdom and your story. Thank you so much for doing this with me. It's fine. You're my favorite theologian. <laughs> You're my favorite niece. Uh, I, I don't want to say you're my favorite uncle because that might put yeah, me in a bad space. But thank you. Well, Krista. thank you so much. And I hope that you found this this broadcast encouraging. I hope that maybe the the life story of my aunt and uncle is two real people who've been slugging it out for decades in this space, that they will help provide you with a little bit of a vision as you talk to the Lord as you walk down that path with the Lord and that he would be working in your life and guiding in your situation. Um, it, it, the life is hard. Uh, God has not, he's promised us salvation from our sins, but he hasn't promised us an easy path. And all of us have to go on that journey with him. But I hope that in all things that you will um, honor the dignity of those around you, that you will um, look at people in the eye, that you will say a greeting to them, that you will see the special needs families in your faith community, and that you will be an encouragement to them and ask the Lord how you might come alongside them and, and just offer some encouragement in their situation and what they're walking through in, in their that hard space. So Thank you so much for watching. I hope you enjoy it. Please um, like and share this with a friend that you think uh, will be encouraged by my aunt and uncle's story. Thank you so much for watching. God bless and good night. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week 
for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.